Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, broadcasting live every Thursday, 6 to 8 p.m. Central, from Panama City Beach, Florida, home of the world's most beautiful beaches. I want to take this opportunity to thank everyone for joining me on my weekly broadcast. Every week, I'll feature some of the best instructors, coaches, authors, and entrepreneurs in the golf business today. I begin with a great discussion on Coach's Corner, followed by an insightful interview with my special guest. So let's get started by introducing tonight's Coach's Corner panel. All right. Good evening, everybody, and uh, welcome again to Golf Talk Live. I'm Ted Odorico, your host. Uh, very excited to be back on air. been off for a little while, took a, a bit of a break through the Christmas holidays and uh, uh, also the month of January as I prepared for the 2019 season. We've got a great show. Uh, I'm going to make a couple of quick announcements, and I'm going to bring on tonight's uh, special guest. Um, as you gathered from the intro uh, mentioned about Coach's Corner. It actually is not going to start until next month on March 7th. Uh, we'll uh, begin Coach's Corner. Uh, had the uh, wrong intro in play, so I apologize for that. So there is no Coach's Corner tonight, uh, but we'll be uh, starting uh, in March, which is traditionally when I normally start it. So uh, for those of you that might have uh, been expecting a Coach's Corner panel tonight, uh, sorry to disappoint. I won't have one for the next few weeks until March 7th, so I hope you'll stay tuned to that. In fact, uh, usually for the month of February, February, excuse me, normally what I do is I just have uh, a, a special guest interview uh, just to sort of warm up for the season until I get into the full season, which begins March uh, for the full two-hour program. So it's going to be a little bit less than an hour, um, as I said, with my special guest, and I'm going to introduce her in just a moment here. But uh, another uh, quick announcement as well. Um, with respect to Coach's Corner, the schedule is pretty much filled for the entire season uh, right until the end of the year. Uh, there are maybe one or two spots uh, here and there throughout the season that uh, I might be able to squeeze another one in. So uh, if you reached out to me late last season and didn't make it on the schedule and you still like to get on, uh, by all means, reach out to me. My email is ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. So if you're a golf instructor or coach out there, that uh, has either been on the panel before and maybe didn't quite make it into the season yet, uh, or maybe you're uh, new to the panel, would love to have you uh, jump in on some of the, the great uh, panel discussions that we'll have this season. So uh, again, reach out to me at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. Um, as I mentioned, I've got a great guest this evening. I'll tell you a little bit about her, and then I'm going to bring her out. My special guest this evening is Natalie Filler. Uh, she's a professional golfer and a teaching professional, uh, born in Hartford, Connecticut, uh, she had a tremendous success and passion for the game of golf, and uh, since her highly uh, successful junior golf days, she played Division I golf at the University of Delaware. Uh, after college, she uh, began to play professionally and still uh, loves to compete. Uh, she also began her teaching career working for the now uh, PJ of America president, Susie Whaley, of course, who's been a uh, guest multiple times on my shows. Uh, Natalie now spends her summers teaching at the Philadelphia Cricket Club, and her winters teaching at Old Palm Golf Club. She loves working with players of all skill uh, levels and ages, and her teaching style has been influenced by top instructors such as Martin Hall, Justin Sheehan, and of course, Susie Whaley. So please welcome my very special guest this evening, Natalie Filler. Good evening, Natalie. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to have you, and I appreciate you uh, coming on. Um, before we get into our discussion, I just want to mention a couple of things. Um, 
that I, I just wanted to point out while I have you on air here. Um, actually, Natalie and I, of course, have not met in person, but I have been kind of following you the last little while uh, on social media because you, you've got a lot of great videos that you post up uh, every week. In fact, several of them. And I wanted to ask you a question before we kind of get into a little bit of your background on that. Um, do you think that this is a definite must for the modern teacher to really um, you know, have this video presence uh, as opposed to just teaching on, on the lesson to you? Um, I wouldn't say that it's a must, but I think that it helps. Um, I know starting a new job this winter down here in Florida, um, I've kind of grown my following on social media and mm -hmm. it was a really great way to kind of market myself to the new membership down here prior to even coming. Um, I shared all of those with the members again, before I got down here. And I think it certainly made people feel like they knew me a little bit already before I got there. And it definitely made them more inclined to take lessons more quickly. Um, I didn't have to do as much grunt work when I got down here in order to <laughs> kind of get those lessons and, and meet those people. Cause I think they sort of felt like they already knew me a little bit, which is very cool. So, um, right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's one of the benefits of social media. I mean, it, it you know, it's a very, very powerful business tool for somebody um, like yourself and myself. I teach as well. And, and obviously I, I do the shows and it's become a very valuable tool to, to get that information out there. So I, I, I can see, and, and, and as I said, this was one of the reasons why I really wanted to have you on the show because I've been watching a lot of your videos uh, and they're very, very well done, by the way. Um, I've seen a lot of others on social media that aren't so good. I'm not going to name names, but um, yours are, are definitely first rate. So um, kudos to you for that. Um, obviously well, you've had you. a very, ex you're very welcome. You've obviously had a very um, extensive um, background playing Division One golf and then obviously professionally as well. And you've had uh, taught by some, some very, very uh, accomplished teachers and certainly have followed them. Um, but before we do that, I want to sort of go back to the beginning a little bit. How did you get started in golf? And I'm not talking about the teaching side, but what sort of drew you to the game and, and who was it that sort of introduced you to golf? Yeah, that's a great question. I actually, I grew up in Connecticut and um, my dad played hockey in college and then kind of fell in love with golf somewhere around finishing college. And um, I just used to go to the course with him, I think, ever I don't really remember a time where I didn't play golf, honestly. So, I mean, mm -hmm. I think from the time that I was probably three or four, maybe, um, I used right. to go to the golf course with him. My mom played, and then I'm the oldest. I have two little sisters. They played as well. We did junior golf growing up. Um, we also were very lucky to be uh, members at a club where the head pro was extremely proud of our junior golf program, and he really – wanted and supported kids being out on the course, which I think wasn't when I was really little, that still wasn't a very right. happening thing to do. Um, and he sort of just got it. And I'm still very close with him to this day. He had a huge influence on me um, starting to play competitively. And I still am very, very close with him. Um, but I right. think it's the people that you're surrounded by. Obviously I was lucky enough to have parents who introduced me to the game, but then those other people who supported junior golf and made me just really enjoy it and love being at the golf course are the ones that pushed me to get to where I was. 
for a lot of people in not certainly everybody but for a lot of people in the golf business kind of got a similar start they they you know were introduced maybe by their dad or 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 mom or both and um you know started at a very very early age getting exposed to it, which i think is extremely important and i think the statistics have shown yeah. that the earlier we get them introduced to the game the more apt they are to pick it up now they might have a few lulls throughout their uh lifespan where they may or may not play uh, and may not even play competitively necessary but if they get introduced to it uh, at an early age, they're more apt to want to continue on at some point, uh, you know, later on, or, or like I said, may want to do the same that you have done and, and go and play in, in a more competitive route. Now, you play, as I mentioned, you played Division One at the University of Delaware, um, which is uh, a great accomplishment, of course, to, to be able to do that. What did you find when you went through that process through college? What did it teach you as a player? So much. I mean, I don't even know where to start. That is, I, I grew so, so much, I think, as a, a person and as a player in, in college. Um, I had some fantastic coaches, Patty Post and Brendan Post, um, who really just helped me learn a lot about myself and um, kind of taught me more how to practice and deal with everything that we had going on. I mean, it's a lot to juggle as a, as a player in college, you've got your social life, you've got your sport and you've got mm-hmm. academics and it can be a lot, especially as a golfer, because we miss so much school. I mean, we're away for three or four days at a time, six times a semester. Right. Um, and it, it can wear on you for sure. It can wear on your golf game because you've got to, you know, you've got to go back and you have three exams that you've missed. Um, or you've got to be doing your practice round and you've got to get back and you've got to do homework um, and your play there. You know, people think that you're going on vacation. All my friends used to be like, Oh, it's so cool. You get to go play golf. That's <laughs> awesome. And I'm like, well, yeah, it's awesome. And it's really fun and rewarding, but you know, we're going and playing 36 holes in a day after we've flown across the country. And then I have to go and do homework and I have to wake up and play again. Like it's, it, it can really just wear on you. So it definitely teaches you a lot about yourself and what you can handle, but I think it really taught me kind of mm-hmm. how to manage my time and how to be tough and deal with a lot. Yeah, it, it definitely is a, a growing experience. I know um, on Tuesday mornings, I host another show called the women of golf with my, my good friend, LPJ professional, Cindy Miller. And uh, for the last several seasons, we've have been uh, hosting some of the, uh, winners from the Symmetra Tour, and yeah. they would probably concur with concur with just about everything that you just said. Uh, yeah, it's exciting and it's fun, but the travel uh, can be very difficult because not all of them obviously are in a financial uh, situation where they can hop on a plane and fly. They're driving across from that's one correct. side of the country to the other, so uh, yeah. and that's why a lot of them sort of band together and 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 kind of go almost as a team, even though they're competing against one right. another. So it's it's definitely a tough a tough grind. What advice would you give to uh, a young girl that's maybe in that transition period? They've obviously maybe been in, introduced like you very early in golf, and they're thinking of maybe playing collegiately and, and whatever happens beyond be, happens, uh, you know, obviously uh, after that. But what advice would you give them knowing what you know about playing uh, college golf? What advice would you give them um, what to expect and what to prepare for, if you will, uh, and, and what really they should consider before they take that step? Yeah. Um, I think that finding a school first and foremost, that is right for you, that you would love to attend that school 
whether or not you were on the golf team there. God forbid for some reason you go to this school and golf doesn't work out or you're not traveling a certain week, so you're not, you haven't quite made it onto the roster yet, um, that you still really enjoy being in that place. I think that's very important. Um, and that you fit in with the team. When you go and you, and you visit some schools and you talk to some coaches that you see people that you could see yourself spending time with and you'll get very quickly get a kind of a vibe from the girls that are there and from the coaches and you'll kind of get an understanding of what they're about and the kind of people that they are. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to make sure that those are the kind of people that you want to spend your time with because you're going to be spending a lot of hours with those people. So um, all of that's important. And I think really understanding what it is that your goal is, you know, is your goal to play at a really high level and spend all of your college time focusing really more on golf or do you care more about academics? Cause you can go to some really fantastic schools and play on the golf team. That that might help you get into a school that you otherwise may not have gotten into. Um, right. Or you can kind of go more the super competitive route and really focus more on the golf. I think those are some right. things to consider. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think there is. I mean, obviously, you, you have to put a lot of work in, in both sides. Uh, ultimately, if you, if you want to compete at that level in college, you, you've got to bring your game, your best game, because, it, you know, yeah. even though golf is perceived traditionally as an individual sport, you're now part of a team. Um, yep. And so, you know, you can't just go out there and – well, I'm going to be the shining star because you've got teammates to consider. So you have to certainly make sure your game is, is, you know, sound, but at the same time, you can't have your head in the clouds because there are other people that are counting on you uh, at certain moments. So it's not all about you. You know, it's not an individual sport really at that point, even though you have individual competition in many cases, but you're playing essentially as a team. And that sometimes is not easy for people. I think that's a great point. I mean, it's, it's definitely an adjustment going to college after playing junior golf where, yeah, you have some friends that you see at tournaments and whatnot, but it's really all on you. The college coach is watching you and you only. And then all right. of a sudden you're in this environment where you, and you are still competing for your spot to play, you know, from week right. to week, a lot of the time you're playing against your teammates for a spot to get on the trip, um, which so all of that is really hard to deal with, um, competing, but also yeah, competing with your teammates, but also trying to be a team. Right, exactly. And we see that a lot in the, on the pro tours, of course, with the Solheim Cup and, of course, the Ryder Cup for yeah. men. Um, you know, we've seen a lot of very top elite players that win tournament after tournament, but then they get on the Ryder Cup or the Solheim Cup, and suddenly in that sort of a different environment, um, they're not shining as much. And, you know, because now all of a sudden it's not the sole focus is not just on them. They're part of a group uh, and it's really a group momentum and, and group support. Now, they all support one another, but you, you we and you know what I'm talking about. You clearly see that and sometimes in this team events. Now, I got to give kudos to the women of the LPGA because I think they do a much better job than the men do on the PGA uh, with the Solheim Cup. So, um, you know, they always seem to rally around and, and are very, very supportive. And I, I give, uh, you know, top dollars to, uh, to the women of the LPGA. I think they're a fantastic yeah. organization. And I, and I think that's why they've seen so much growth in the last few years. Um, I want to talk about something else that I, that I know obviously uh, is important to you. Um, and let me just sort of preface this a little bit. 
who I'm talking about so that people understand uh, for, that are just tuning in. Um, you're obviously involved in some way with Ells for Autism. Of course, I'm talking about Ernie Ells, who is a, a PJ Tour professional uh, whose son uh, was diagnosed uh, several years back with autism. So he has, of course, started a, a charitable foundation and so forth and, and has done a lot of work really to bring light to autism. Um, are you involved with that uh, program as well in some capacity, or is it just a, an interest of yours right now that you hope to become more involved? Yeah, I actually, um, I last summer started the Ls for Autism Game on Autism program in Philadelphia. Um, I discovered it first down here. They actually have a school for um, mm-hmm. children on the autism spectrum in Jupiter that Ernie and his wife started. And it is really an incredible, incredible place. People move here from all over the world to have their children go to school there. And they have a, not surprisingly considering it's Ernie, that they have this amazing short game facility. It's actually, they have three greens, all turfed, but three kind of, it's like a little wedge range almost. They've got three greens and Mm -hmm. the kids have all different activities. So they have tennis there. They've got all their sports they can do. And golf is one of the activities that's offered there. And I started doing volunteer work through um, with them last winter. So I would go two days a week and spend the afternoon there coaching some of these kids and uh, learning about how to work with children and adults on the autism spectrum and teach them how to play golf. Right. And really became very passionate about it um, and was contacted by – Uh, one of my members in Philadelphia who has two sons who are on the autism spectrum and he wanted to fund a program up there this past summer. So we started that and I can't say enough about how amazing it is to see some of these kids who haven't been able to have success at other things because they can't do a whole lot of other sports necessarily. And golf in a lot of ways really taps into what these individuals are talented at which are rapid things like repetition and quiet they they like kind of quiet stuff not a lot of noise um so it's really incredible to see how through golf some of these kids can really open up and, and blossom and learn even just simple things like how to interact with other individuals and other kids in a social setting through golf um so I've become just in love with the whole program. Yeah, he does a f- fantastic job. I know a number of individuals that um, are involved as well. And, and you know, I, I got to give Ernie and, and all of the um, sports staff and that uh, with his program uh, a lot of credit because, you know, obviously autism has been around for a while. We've heard about it in the past, but he's done a phenomenal job of really bringing it in the forefront and particularly in the golf industry. I know, um, you know, legends of the game like Jack Nicholas and, and many, many others have been very, very supportive of, of him and, and this particular, um, you know, uh, process that he's been dealing with. Obviously, they're, they're uh, empathetic that, you know, he's got to deal with it on a personal level, but they uh, really have gotten behind him and supported him in, in bringing this to the forefront. And now more and more people, um, not just in the golf profession, but outside as well, are becoming more aware of it. And it's really become... Uh, because of Ian and his wife that have, have sort of spearheaded this this venture. So, um, you know, we, we can do whatever we can to support that. I think it's a great uh, a great process. Now, I mentioned um, before, and I, I would be remiss if I didn't bring her in 
to this conversation a little bit that you um, consider Susie Whaley a um, somebody that you you obviously respect and you actually worked for uh, at one point. Um, what um, what would you have to say? I'm going to split this up in two ways here. First, talk about her um, as a person and your experience and what did she teach you and then what you hope to see her do as the president of the PJ of America. So let's tackle her mentorship, if you will, of you and then talk about how you envision or hope to envision her as the PJ president. Yeah, so... um... I actually am the same age as Susie's oldest daughter, Jen, and we played junior golf together in Connecticut. Um, And I started taking lessons from Susie and her husband, Bill, when I was probably, I want to say like in eighth grade, maybe. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I took lessons. She and Bill were my coaches, mostly Susie, um, all the way up through college. And so I became very, very close with them through that. Um, and I actually started then working for her during the summer while I was in college running and for, yeah, running her junior golf camp in Connecticut and kind of fell in love with teaching. And, um, I never thought I wanted to go into the golf business after school and working for her really made me see a kind of incredible opportunity and being around, she's, just got an incredible energy. Anybody who's spent time around her kind of knows she's just kind of lights up a room. She's very, very good (laughs) at just bringing it all the time. And that was, that's the the main thing that I take away from her on top of all of the teaching knowledge that she gave me. It's Mm -hmm. just, you know, no matter what is going on in your day, when you show up for a lesson, when you show up on, on the lesson tier at the course, you better bring it, you know, it's, (laughs) <laughs> it's give it your all every day, which is, I mean, and it sounds so simple and so silly, but it really is true. And it's something when you're having a bad day or you've got others going on, it's really helpful to kind of think about it and just sort of push it aside and bring it, be your best you every day. Good things come yeah, from and she cert- Yeah. And she certainly does that. As I mentioned earlier on uh, in, in the, uh, in our discussion tonight that, uh, Myself and, and my uh, my friend LPJ professional Cindy Miller, uh, we've interviewed Susie a number of times over the years, and most recently um, last fall, of course, before she uh, took the reins, if you will, um, as as the current PJ of America's president. So we were very very excited for her, and and you know not just because she was the first female um, to so, sort of hold that position, but just because she's as you said she brings so much energy uh, and experience, and of course she was a uh, an officer. She was a, a vice president for, um, I think, two years p- prior to that, but um, and was a secretary, I think, even and before that. But um, she just has a wealth of knowledge and just so much energy packed into um, her that uh, I, I see great things. So, as you see her moving into this position, um, what do you hope, um, as as a young woman yourself, what do you hope to see? Um, her be able to do with the PJ of America? What would you like to see change, if anything? Um, and what would you hope for other young ladies that maybe have an interest in, in golf or maybe have never played before? 
what would you like to see her do that would encourage them to want to be a part of it? Not necessarily in the business, but just take up golf as general. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think just her becoming a face in golf gives other women someone to look to instead of seeing all the guys standing on, on TV all the time. Um, obviously we have the LPGA tour and there's so many phenomenal women who don't get recognized often enough that right. are in the golf industry. Um, but I think it's just a really amazing thing to now have a woman at the forefront. And I, I just mm-hmm. hope that that inspires some women. Maybe they're watching golf on TV. Maybe they see her in something and they think, you know what, I can, I could play golf. I could do that. And I think a lot of these new partnerships, they now have the, um, KPMG PGA clinics for women right. partnered with Jane Blaylock to do those um, different initiatives like that, that are going to give women an opportunity to start playing golf when maybe they didn't have the tools to do that. Otherwise, whether it's giving them instruction through business um, or just uh, clinics at a course near, near them. Uh, I just hope that it inspires more women to take up the game and really use it as a business tool a lot of the time um, mm. and, or just as a social tool, it's, it's really intimidating for women. I think a lot of the time to take up golf and I hope right. that this just makes it that much easier for them to say, yeah, I'll try that. Yeah. I, I think it's really twofold. I, I think for her being in that position, I think it, it, it sort of puts a different face to the game. I mean, as you mentioned, there's a lot of people, um, you know, on the LPGA that have played, you know, on a professional level. Um, but when it gets into the sort of the business side of golf, there really hasn't been a, a lot of presence there, um, especially with the PGA of America. So I think for her to be there, um, I think lets women see that, you know, with hard work and perseverance and, and just, you know, really digging into the game from a business standpoint can take you to the, really the top of the game. And so it, it just shows that it, it's, you know, to some of these young girls that are coming in now, you know, that because obviously Susie has been a player for many, many years, um, had a very accomplished career, but then she also uh, taught golf like yourself. Um, and now she's getting into sort of another phase of, of golf, if you will. And that's, you know, getting involved and developing new partnerships that bring, that much more attention to the game itself. And I think a lot of people have, and and you may or may not agree with this, but I think a lot of people have a misconception about golf because really the only thing that we really see from a media standpoint is the, the tournaments. Um, They don't really see the everyday golf instructor unless of course they're taking lessons. So uh, I think the marketing of golf, I hope will change a little bit. I certainly want to keep watching the events and enjoy that. But I would like to see some of the other areas of golf that the average person can kind of relate to, because we know everybody's not going to make it out on tour. I mean, you you know that and no, how hard yeah. of a, a grind it is out there. So I would like to see more exposure um, to the other side of golf and what opportunities it can create. And I hope that's one of the things that that Susie will will do. Um, now you're obviously involved in not just women's golf but girls' golf as well. What do you try to do when you're working with students that uh, young girls that are you know taking an interest in golf? Um, what are some of the, what's some of the discussion that you have with them, especially if they're very new to the game? Yeah, so um, in Philadelphia, we have a 
enormous junior program that I'm heavily involved in. And I, a lot to try and grow girls golf specifically because I know how I felt when I was younger. I was always the only girl and I didn't always get at the boys didn't always ask me to play. And I always wish right. that I had looking back more girls around me to play golf with when I was first kind of starting out. I just think it would make it more fun. And I think that's where we lose a lot of these young girls where maybe they had played when they were younger, they did some junior golf, they did the, you know, whatever they did. And then they get to be 11, 12, 13 into those teenage years. And if it's not something that they can do with their friends, then it's not very likely that they're going to continue to do it. So it's how do you get them to fall in love with it and really enjoy doing it and have people and girls or boys, other people that they enjoy doing it with. So I try and do a lot of group stuff with the kids and get, I do girls golf nights up there where we have, you know, 20 girls, they can bring a friend if Mm -hmm. they want. It can be anybody, whether they've played before, whether they haven't played before. And we just make it really fun. They do some kind of activity. Some maybe, maybe it's decorating golf balls or, you know, something silly Mm -hmm. like that. And then we do, you know, one night I set up a mini, a really fun mini golf course on our putting green and we hang out and we talk and they can ask questions and I can, I give them a little bit of instruction, but it just makes it really fun and inviting for them and makes them want to come back for more because they, they met a girl that they had a lot of fun with that they can now hang out with. They want to, Oh, I want to go to the golf course so I can see my friend or I want to go put putting now that I know how to do it. So it just sort of lets them see a, that they can do it and b that it's fun and then there's other girls that are doing it. Right. Well, and, and I think it's, again, it goes back to the perception that a lot of people have uh, or have had uh, about golf in general. And I think there's some things that are happening now out in the market that are helping to change that, especially for the next generation. You know, I'm in my mid fifties, so I'm obviously a much older generation than you. Uh, and some of the things that are coming up now, um, you know, weren't available. And I'll give you a good example is top golf. And yeah. Top Golf has sort of introduced golf in a sort of a non-traditional way, and a lot of people, you know, joke about it and say that uh, you know it's a, it's a glorified bowling alley and and this sort of thing, and and that may be true to a certain point, but really what it is, it's a social gathering, and they've taken golf off the golf course for the moment, and created a social environment and introduced them to golf, but not to a point where they're overwhelmed by it. It's a fun you know, great place to go. And that's why they're, they're doing, I mean, I haven't been in one here locally, but I uh, was out in the one in Las Vegas and it's just amazing how many people go and have a great time in that. And obviously that younger generation um, that maybe right now is not interested in traditional golf play, if you will, can at least be exposed. It goes back to what I said earlier, getting them exposed at least to the game and then let, seeing where it goes from there. Um, what are your thoughts there? What do you think we need to do as golf professionals to sort of tap into the next generations uh, and get them interested in playing golf? Um, what, what are some ways that you try to encourage them? Because obviously not everybody wants to can play out on the, on the tour, as I, said, uh, as I mentioned earlier, um, and may not even at this point in their, their lives maybe even want to go out and play 18 holes. Uh, it's time-consuming. People have a lot of demand, you know, uh, demands on their time. So what do you try to do um, – to encourage them to at least come out and get exposed to it? Um, I think that it's just 
giving them when people who are beginning to play, I have a lot of beginners uh, that come and take lessons for the first time. And it's typically a lot of women actually who decided, okay, I want to try this. And I think it's really important to give them success right away. So having instruction Mm -hmm. is important, I think, and make, I'm trying to make that hopefully more accessible to people who don't necessarily have access to a great instructor nearby, but, you know, people come to me and they say, okay, I want to, I want to maybe try this. I think it's really important to have them see success. And then next most important, and this has always sort of amazed me, is that a lot of people don't think they're good enough to go on the golf course. So they come and they'll take lessons and they'll hit balls and maybe they'll come to the range a couple times a week, but they're like, ah, I'm not good enough to play. And so I think it's really important to take right. people on the course. So I'll do that a lot. And I say, we're going to go play a couple holes. Let's go. And they're like, you know, they, they, a lot of the time they'll make, you know, on a par four, maybe they'll make a seven or an eight the first time. And they're like, Oh, this wasn't so bad. I can totally do this. So it's kind of right. enabling people to feel like they can do it. And that I think comes through showing them the right skills so that they can get started and then actually giving them the push onto the golf course. Cause that's really what it is. It's having the right. time where you can go be social with your friends, get some fresh air after work. Um, and sometimes that's three holes, which is totally fine. Um, go walk mm-hmm. a couple holes. It doesn't have, you don't have to play a full round to really enjoy being out there and playing the game. Um, I think it's just giving people the understanding that it doesn't have to be, like you said, it doesn't have to be what it looks like on TV. There are a lot of right. different ways to enjoy the game. You know, it, it's interesting because, you know, there's been a lot of stats that have been out. And I'm sure you've, you've been exposed to them as well. There's been a lot of studies that have been done about golf and, and, you know, handicaps and things like that. And, you know, the interesting thing that people don't realize that actually over 50% of all golfers, um, and I'm just limiting it here to, in the United States, um, can't break 100. And yeah. it's really a very, very small percentage of golfers that actually even break 80. Um, you know, so I think it goes to your point that a lot of people think, well, I'm not good enough. I think one of the mistakes that the industry has made for a long time, and I think they have recognized this probably in the last decade or so, is the importance of getting people, as, as you suggest, getting them out in the golf course as quickly as we can. Because I think one of the biggest mistakes that the industry used to do is, well, you know, we'll do a series of lessons first. And I mean, you do have to show them the basics and give them a general understanding of the game itself. But I think the sooner that they're exposed um, out in the golf course, whether it be, like you said, two or three holes, it, it sort of takes away that anxiety. Because if you're teaching them and you've, you, you know, you've put them through five or six lessons, they've come to the range and they've never actually stepped out on a golf course, suddenly you know, that anxiety creeps in because you know, they might have been hitting the ball great out in the range, but we know ourselves that when you get on the golf course, the elements are completely different than what they were out in the, the driving range. So you know, I think exposing them early on is important. Do you agree with that? Absolutely, 100%. Yeah, and, and I yeah. think and, instructors, you know, it's an evolution, of course, but uh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, continue. Um, I, I think it's an evolution that the golf industry has taken, and I think a lot of instructors now realize that, you know, the importance of playing lessons and, and getting out there and not just, you know, have, having them sort of hit and, you know, rake and hit balls on the driving range. I mean, obviously, you have to work on 
certain fundamentals not and, and ideas of, of how the game is played but the, the the key word is you're playing golf you're not just hitting balls so you know understanding what you do out in the golf course in different situations um, is, is extremely important um, now I touched on social media a little bit ago as I mentioned because how I sort of came across you with uh, seeing all of these great videos and that um, and, and I know you mentioned a little bit uh, about social media and that, um, but I want to ask you about technology in, in, in general. Um, what are your thoughts on technology? Is, do you think sometimes that we, uh, especially some of the, the newer uh, instructors out there, are relying too much on the technology um, in their teaching? I don't know that the I don't know the answer to that really, but I know that the people that I have spent time with who are the best teachers and who mm-hmm. really make people better don't rely on it. They use it as a tool right. to check numbers to uh, right. to verify what they're seeing to measure, but not necessarily as their you know the, the sole thing that they're relying on to decide on things. Uh, Martin Hall always says that he's, you know, he has every piece of technology you could possibly imagine, but he doesn't use it all that often. And he, when he does, it's to check and verify that what he's Mm -hmm. seeing or what he thinks he should be doing or the direction that he's going in is correct. And then to measure it and practice it. So, I mean, I I just, that's sort of my belief in it, which I guess is probably a little bit old school, honestly, but those are the people that I spent time around growing up that had the biggest influence on me. That's sort of how they thought about it. Yeah. And that's spot on. I, I agree hundred percent with you. I, I think that, and the reason why I asked that question is, you know, it, it seemed for a while and I think people are starting to, again, it's, it's like the other, you know, getting them out on the golf course. I think people are starting to realize now um, technology has a place. I think it's great. Some of the technology that's available. I don't know if you were down at the PJ merchandising show or if you go or not, but you know, there's a lot of great little gadgets and things out there that, that are great teaching aids. But the problem is, and I've, I've spoken to people about this when preparing for certain shows here, um, you know, that have taken lessons. And one of the things that bothered them a little bit at times was that the instructor was more involved looking at the screen or the monitor or what have you and not really paying much attention to them because they were too focused or ingrained yeah. into the, uh, you know, and, and, and that goes with anything. It's not just, you know, some of the, the swing monitors and things like that, but, you know, and, and there's a danger with that because there becomes a disconnect with your student. And that's why I asked you, I, I think it's great that we have the technology. And I think as you mentioned that Martin has done, I think he, he does it just right. You know, he uses it as a, as a way of measuring um, what it is he's looking at or looking for uh, or confirming, you know, things that he, he's expecting in that particular lesson, but he's not relying so heavily on it that he's not really paying attention to the student. And I think that's um, something in another area too, that, that has caused a lot of angst for a lot of people. It's been, you know, many uh, students have been very, very vocal about this is they're not trained on this equipment, you know, as we might be, so they don't understand sometimes a lot of the jargon, a lot of the terminology, and they can get very overwhelmed by it. And so this is something, too, I think you have to find a balance. I think it's good to use it, and I think it's good to video uh, your your students, and I think it's good to put them on launch monitors and things like that. But I think we've got to be careful that we keep it as simple as possible for the student and not get all wrapped up in, in the terminology, if you will, 
uh, and make it that much more because the game is hard enough as it is. And I think the more that we kind of, you know, throw into the soup pot uh, for our students, I think sometimes can make it very difficult for them. And I, I think that that's starting to become more aware uh, in the industry. So you're also uh, involved in junior golf, uh, as you mentioned as well earlier on. Talk a little bit about that and some of the junior pro programs, what you uh, traditionally like to do there uh, and getting them involved. So one of my absolute favorite things that I get to do in Philadelphia is uh, I call it Peewee Golf, P-E-E-W-E-E. -E -E. So it's for ideally sometimes I'll accept three-year-olds if they're depending on the kids, but it's like four to six-year-olds typically in the program, and they have become really, really popular because our other junior programs, you have to be six years old or seven years old, I think, to, to enter those. So those kids who are a little mm -hmm. bit younger who maybe want to start golf, a lot of the time it's, you know, the parents are super into golf and the kid gets signed up, but it's a four week program. I do it. Uh, I do two different groups every week uh, and I do it throughout the summer. And it is one of my favorite things because they are just absolutely hysterical to be around. Um, and they <laughs> just do 45 minutes. So they come once a week for 45 minutes and I have six of them at one time. And, they are just so excited about anything and everything that you do because they're just so curious still at that age and it's awesome. Mm -hmm. um, right. And they just, and, and the best thing about kids that age, even a little bit older than that is that they don't even care if they miss or they fail, forget about it two seconds later and they try again. So they're just a blast to be around. And I just try and make it really fun for them from that young age so that they, maybe they don't even get it yet. Like they can't hold the club at the top yet or whatever, but they really mm -hmm. like the idea of being at the golf course. They really like the other kids that they get to be around every now and then I slide them a little bit of candy to bribe them, but you know, <laughs> they're just really, they're just so much fun to be with and they love everything. Like they just, you know, you give them a colored tennis ball and it's like the best thing they've ever seen in their life. Oh my gosh. And we get to hit water balloons right. and, we do so much fun stuff and they just love it and it's grown a ton. So that's one of the best things that I, I've started doing up there in the last couple of years. Well, yeah, kids are like sponges. I mean, they just absorb so much and, you know, one of the, and again, I don't want to, you know, go on the flip side of this, but you know, one of the things that I think that Cindy and I have talked about many times on, on our show is, you know, parents that, you know, maybe have a kid that, that's expressed interest in golf and maybe even has some, uh, you know, uh, reasonable ability get pushed too hard. And that's something I think that, you know, as, as teachers yeah. and coaches that we have to be mindful of because, and I, I'm sure you've seen it, I, I guarantee you've seen it a number of times where the parents are, you know, kind of like on the sideline and, and they're pushing their, their child and, you know, you want them, you hit it on the head, you know, you want them to have fun. You want it to be a learning experience and you want them to, to get out of it. And I think sometimes if they're pushed a little bit too much, too hard, too soon, um, you know, then they lose interest. And so, you know, it's no longer fun for them anymore and they're apt to, to pull out of the game. So I think it's great what you're doing is, is making it fun and interesting and occasionally bribing them with candy <laughs> once in a while. It doesn't hurt either, <laughs> but um, you know, I think that, I think you've got to do that, and that, that's fallen right in their wheelhouse. I mean, what kid doesn't want a little candy once in a while? So um, you just got to be, be prepared that they might be hopped up for another hour 
so your lesson yeah. may be extended on, on those days, but uh, but that's okay. That, that's <laughs> what makes it fun. Um, now, Natalie, you, you teach at, uh, you know, in the summer months, you teach up in Philadelphia at the Cricket Club, and then obviously in, in the winter months, you're down at Old Palm uh, Golf Club. Uh, how did those uh, come about? I mean, you mentioned about going down to Old, um, you know, Old Palm there, and, and, you know, the videos helped you sort of uh, do that. But how did you start at Philadelphia? How, what sort of brought you there? Um, the job in Philadelphia completely fell into my lap. I have a family friend who is a member there and I went to play with him and I met Jim Smith, who's our director of golf there, who is one of my favorite people ever. He has been just an amazing mentor, boss, guide over the last two and a half years now. And um, he was looking for a female teaching pro and it was sort of the right time for me to move on to my next, next job from working with Susie and Mm-hmm. he kind of took a chance on me. I obviously had a background teaching with, with and for Susie, but mm-hmm. um, I had never worked at a private club before. And he gave me just an incredible opportunity to teach there. And so that's all I do in Philly is teach. And he really gives me the reins to do what I want. If I come up with a program that I want to do, we get to do it. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't right. work. Um, right. He is, has really just been amazing. And I've loved every second of working there. And I look forward to going back again this summer. Um, when do you make, then, when do you actually make the transition? When do you make the transition? Just I don't mean to interrupt you, but um, yeah, obviously no, you're, not at you're all. down at old, old Palm. You're, you're at old Palm right now, obviously with, with the, uh, cooler months and that. When do you transition back up to Philadelphia? Same day down here is April 25th, and I will head back up to Philly okay. right after that. So I'm I'm basically there at the end of April through October at some point, and then I come back mm-hmm. to Florida. Perfect. Um, now you you mentioned that you uh, still enjoy playing competitively. Um, what what do you enjoy? Are, are you looking to maybe play at a, at a higher level again? Do you want to do that? Is that something that's still um, a passion for you? Uh, or do you feel that, you know, you've sort of exhausted that, um, that area right now and are more focused on the teaching? Yeah, that's a great question. I, um, when I finished school, I had sort of decided I had a really great year, my senior year of college. I won a tournament my, during my college career individually, and then we had a lot of success. I had a really successful senior year. Our team had a lot of success, and I decided I wanted to keep playing after school. So uh, I continued to work for Susie, and then I played that winter. I played kind of full-time and really got after it. And then I went to Q school that summer, didn't do great, Um, continued to play in a lot of the PGA and LPGA uh, teaching and club professional things. But Mm -hmm. I was going to go to Q school again this past summer, but sort of decided that I just wasn't there and it's very expensive. So um, just sort of realized I had to make, I needed to decide whether I was going to continue to work and continue to get better as a teacher 
or whether I was going to focus on playing because it's really hard to do both. And I still play in tournaments and I love to play and play with members and I play and practice a ton still, but I just sort of realized where my heart was and I love what I get to do every day. And I love being at places where my bosses allow me to go out and play with members and to go play in tournaments and do all of these awesome things. And I'm very happy with, where I am and what I'm doing and I didn't want to give that up so I'm focusing on teaching but I really love to practice and play still so I still will continue to do that for the foreseeable future well that's perfect and you know I I think it's you know I think it's good with the decision um, that you made I think it was a smart decision I mean you can still you know, play a lot, but as, you know, as we mentioned a little bit earlier, you know, playing out on tour and that um, can be very, very difficult. Um, certainly, I'm, I'm sure you would have success out there, but it's not an e- it's not an easy process like a lot of people think it is, and it takes you away. No. I mean, um, you know, right now, while you're still pretty young, I mean, it, it's, it's okay, but as, you know, you get on a little bit more in years and you settle down and, 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 and you know, have a family and things like that, it's a little bit different process. Um, and I think that the teaching gives you an opportunity and and I can hear it in your voice, you know, when you were talking about the junior golf and that to really do something to give back to others and and share the skills and the knowledge that you've developed, um, along your career thus far and will continue to do, uh, with something else, sharing it, um, you know, with that next generation, if you will. And, you know, I would love to see one thing I really want to see happen over the next decade is a huge insurgent of women that want to go into the teaching side of golf. Um, there's a yeah. lot certainly coming out in the LPJ, which is fantastic. Um, but we need to see a lot more uh, young ladies coming out and stepping into the teaching side of thing. I think they would enjoy it much more than they probably realized they would. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping to see the LPJ and, and, and maybe even with help with, with Susie, um, you know, spearheading the PJ of America, that that will be a direction and something that she'll, you know, certainly be at the top of her list is to get more young ladies involved in, in, in golf, not just on the playing side of it, but uh, on the teaching side of it as well. Because I think that's uh, just as important, if not more, actually. Um, yeah. Tell us about Natty Golf. <laughs> um, so I, I, I started this, Thing, whatever we were, we're going to call it, social media thing. A couple of years ago, I was bored during the winter. I was that's when I was still kind of focused on playing mostly, and I don't really know why I started doing it. I think I saw some stuff on social media and was like, I think I, I just thought to myself, I practice all the time. I can easily take some videos of what I'm doing when I'm messing around at the course and post them, and so that's kind of how it started didn't really do it consistently and then I think when I was in Philly maybe is when I started to do it more consistently and kind of get more into it and they were very popular I would go back home to Connecticut and uh, visit the club that I grew up at and all my dad's friends would be like oh my gosh we love your videos I you know oh I I used that on the (laughs) golf course last week and and so I kind of realized I was like wow this is actually having an effect on people um Mm. And so I continued to do it. And Natty Golf, I originally was unsure as to whether I was going to keep that. Um, I didn't, 
I didn't know if I liked the sound of it or not, but now it's hysterical because people call me Natty or Natty Golf all the time in person, and uh, <laughs> pretty pretty amusing. So, um, but it it sort of turned into this cool thing that I hope and I hope that it helps people, and mm-hmm. I love doing it, and I know that again it it is a it's a free marketing tool essentially for any sure. golf pro to use, but. Mm-hmm. I think it really kind of gives people a, a free insight into kind of who I am and what I'm about and what you're going to get yeah. if you come and take a lesson from me. Um, mm-hmm. But I also hope that people understand that all of these things that I'm posting online, anything that you read in an article in Golf Digest, none of that, no matter how fantastic the teacher is, none of that replaces that personalized in-person lesson where the teacher is analyzing you and your swing because everybody is built differently. Everybody has right. different ways that they learn and different flexibilities or inflexibilities. And so not everything is for everybody and you need at some point a personalized lesson. So, you know, you get, I don't want to say crap, but crap from other people online sometimes, other instructors or whatever. And I just, everything I post is not for everybody. And again, it doesn't replace those lessons that are in person or even online lessons where someone is sending me their swing and it's a personalized response. Right. Right. I, I agree. And, you know, as I said earlier in the in the broadcast, you know, your videos are very, very well done. Um, you know, they're very, very informative and, and obviously you like to have a little fun with them as well. And and I don't know if I was if this was my eyes playing tricks on me or not, but did you have one of your videos that I saw? And I'm not sure if it was on a website or not that something to do with Santa Claus. Was that you or was that um, I oh, thought I saw oh, something? Yeah. <laughs> I, did, I think I did wear a blow up Santa Claus costume. Yes. Like a, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I did do that. Um, well, and I do and, like to have a little bit of fun. And, well, and you know what? You have to. I, I think one of the things that, uh, and again, you know, I, I love this industry. I've been in, in this industry for a long, long time, and I think it's very, very refreshing when somebody like yourself has come along and and wants to have some fun with it. it you know, it, it it would be boring otherwise if we didn't have a little bit of fun. Um, and and I think that you know, just yeah. I mean, if you're just standing on the lesson tee day and you know, just you know, day after day, and you're just watching people hit balls, and you're not really, you know, getting involved. And I think it's also a great way of of reaching out. Um, you know, through social media and, and doing these videos and, and other things that you're doing, um, reaching out to your community. Um, the great thing about social media is you can not only reach out to your community, but you can reach out to communities literally around the world. And, you know, by having fun, obviously it's going to bring attention to the fact that, you know, you mentioned a few moments ago that, you know, some of the members back at the club have seen your, you know, when you go home and that, seen the, your videos and they're, you know, they're using them and they're, they're watching them and they're, they're, you know, they're not just learning valuable information, but they're also entertained by them. And I think that's extremely important, especially in today's environment with so much social media out there, which which sort of brings me to a question, you know, there's a lot of information um, and I'm 
specifically talking about the golf industry, of course, but you know, there's a lot of information um, out there, not only by your fellow professionals, but you know, some some wannabe golf instructors out there that really don't have credentials. How do you, you know, sort of combat that mixed message? Because you're trying to put out a message through your uh, efforts and and helping to grow the game. And there's a lot of misinformation. How do you filter through all of that with your students? Because they're going to say, well, I you know saw this video on YouTube and they say to do this. And I'm sure people have said that to you already in a lesson. So how do you sort of combat that? What do you do to, to assure them? You know what I mean? Because it's not easy. You know what I'm talking about. 100%. Uh, you know, you get the, and it, it happens even with, we'll come to her lesson and she'll say, well, I read this article about right. Tiger Woods right. does this. And I'm like, well, Mrs. Smith, unfortunately, Tiger Woods is a little bit differently built than you are. And he's been playing golf right. for a little bit longer than you have. And so it's, it's not the same, <laughs> you know? And, and, you know, in terms mm-hmm. of the bad information, I don't really think that anybody is intentionally putting out bad information. So no, everybody that I, everybody that I've ever come across who is a golf coach, whether they are certified in something or not, they have good intentions. They're trying to help people. And so mm-hmm. If I see something I don't agree with, I just move on. I, I really I can't right. quite understand some of these people who sit around and and rip on others who they think have poor information yeah. or they're wrong or yeah, whatever. I, I agree. I'm like I don't I don't have time for that. <laughs> like, you know, I would rather spend some time <laughs> watching, you know, a video of of Jim McLean talking about something and actually learn something rather than Right. Comment on some guy's video and say, "Well, you, that's not right. I can't believe you're telling people that." I mean, his intentions are not right. to screw up somebody's golf game. <laughs> so, to me, right. it's just everybody's out to try and make people better. So, everybody's yeah, got a little bit to, of a different way of doing it. And right, welcome to Facebook golf groups. Um, that yeah. we've, we've had that discussion. <laughs> Let's not even get my... started on that. <laughs> Yeah, we, we've um, we've talked about that. I have a segment, and, and as I mentioned at the very beginning of the show, um, I had made a correction because in my, my intro, of course, it talked about uh, a segment on my show that I do, and it begins in March, called Coach's Corner. And what I do is, you know, I've invited uh, a number of, of um, golf professionals from literally all across the United States um, that have been in the business. Um, some are newer, some have been in for many years. And we have a panel discussion. We talk about different things. And we've talked about that very subject at times with some of these groups um, where, you know, professional after professional, most of them are pretty decent, but there are some out there. And, and again, I'm not getting into the name calling or anything, but they'll get on there and somebody will post a video and it's just a whole string of negative, 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 negative about how they should be doing this. They shouldn't be doing that. And what they don't realize is not only are their fellow professionals seeing all of this, but so are other people that are not in the golf industry. They're seeing this. And I think it's just very unprofessional. So I agree with you. I think that, you know, there is going to be some information. It may not always be a hundred percent accurate. And that's really, if you're dealing with a student that maybe has watched something that isn't correct, then it's our job to point out, um, but in a constructive way, um, really what the proper way is, you know, whether it be holding yeah. a club or something like that. Because it varies. Everybody's different. We all have different swings. There is no one perfect swing. Um, It's unique to each of us. So, you know, what might work for one may not work for somebody else. So, you know, I I think there's room for everybody. It's it's just hard to say to 
well, it's just hard to say, well, that's wrong. The way that you're telling that person to hold the club is wrong. Right. In most cases, you can point to somebody who plays professionally, who is very good at golf, who does that thing. Exactly. So it's just, again, everybody, I think that's a coach is trying to do their best to help the person that's in front of them, or I hope that they are. Mm -hmm. And I just think that the whole people sitting around and telling each other that they're wrong is just sort of silly. Well, I always, and, and this, the, the final comment I'll make about it, and then, then we'll, we'll move on. But, um, <laughs> uh, you know, I just, I just think that they must have an awful lot of time on their hands because yeah. it's not like it's happening. It's not happening in the evening. It's happening during the middle of the day when during I would think day. that they would be out teaching, teaching lessons. And, and it just, you know, I don't get into it. And I've seen a few over the years. I just don't even bother. I mean, I post obviously things for my shows and stuff, as I'm sure you saw when I, when I put yours out um, through the different yeah. groups, just to make them aware of who's coming on the show. And I've been doing that for several years, but you know, I don't get into all these chatters. I don't even comment on any of them because I know that there's going to be somebody out there that won't agree or will agree or whatever. And it just gets into it. And it's just not, you know, it's not something that I want. I have better things to do with my time than to, to get involved in that. But um, so on a positive note, let's, let's end things on a positive note. As I mentioned, you, you teach up at the, the Philadelphia Cricket Club um, sometime after April 25th, and right now you're at Old Palm Golf Club. So um, let the folks know how they can get in touch with you if they're interested in reaching out, and do you have a website that they can go and, and maybe check you out a little bit further? Absolutely. So you can find me on Instagram. I post everything to Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, um, but you can find me, I'm at Natty Golf on, on those things. On Facebook, I'm Natalie Filler Golf. And you can send me, you can find in my Facebook as well as my Instagram, you will find my email. And mm-hmm. um, you can contact me through either of, uh, either of those platforms. You can message me, you can email me. Um, I would love to hear from you. And... I have a lot of online options as well. If if you're not in either of those areas that I teach, you can certainly take online lessons. I've got a bunch of different courses and lesson options and lots of fun stuff on my website, which is also linked on my Facebook and my Instagram. And I would love to chat with you if you have questions um, or help you with your game however I can. So yeah, you can hop on either of those things and find me. Perfect. Well, I know just by going to Facebook alone, there's literally probably, I would say in the last um, couple of months since I reached out to you, I'll bet you I've seen at least 30 videos. So I know your videos are on this, so they'll have no problem finding you. Um, and and I yeah. just said before, they're great videos. You, you do a fantastic job. Now, I, very quick question that, I, that I'm going to let you uh, um, go because I know you, you've got things you need to do, but um, – do you do the videos yourself? Like, are you shooting them yourself yeah. or do you have somebody that's with, okay, well, that's, that's impressive because I know it's not easy and I know technology today can, you can do a lot of things, but um, that, that's pretty good. You do a great job. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Not a problem. And one other thing I'm going to mention to you, um, keep this in mind and we'll certainly reach out, but uh, I would love to have you come back on our Tuesday morning show uh, sometime in the future uh, with my good friend Cindy Miller and I on the Women of Golf Show. We'd love you to come on for an interview there 
and talk about whatever you want to talk about, but we would love to have you featured on that as well, because that, that particular show obviously really targets women's golf and, and obviously juniors and that. So we would love to have you come on sometime if you're interested and uh, we'll reach out to you about that in, in the near future. But um, thank you very much, Natalie, for, uh, for coming on. I appreciate it. And uh, I've really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you for having me. That has, that was great. I really love talking with you. I appreciate it. Um, you can find her all over social media, folks. So just look for Natalie Filler or Natty Golf. Just type that. It just Google that, and I guarantee you'll find it because I did very easily. So, again, Natalie, thank you very much uh, for coming on the show tonight. I appreciate it, and I look forward to uh, speaking with you again in the future. Thank you so much. All right. Good night. Good night. All right. That was my very special guest, Natalie Filler. Uh, professional golfer and teach professional at the Philadelphia Cricket Club and the Old Palm Golf Club. She'll be there for a few more months down in, Flo- in South Florida at the Old Palm Golf Club until about April 25th, and she'll be uh, making her way back to Philadelphia, and you'll find her at the Philadelphia Cricket Club, so make sure you check that out as well. Uh, again, just a quick note um, before I close off, uh, just a reminder, the next few weeks until we hit March, Uh, I'll be just doing a general interview with my special guests uh, each week, uh, next week and and the following weeks uh, until we hit March 7th. March 7th, I will be um, going to the full broadcast, the full two-hour show uh, where I will have uh, the Coach's Corner panel will start things off and then my interview, uh, like I did tonight, uh, will follow the second hour. So um, for the next little while, it'll be basically an hour show for the next few weeks until we hit March 7th. So March 7th, Coach's Corner will be back on. And I'm very excited to have golfswing.com will be uh, sponsoring uh, the Coach's Corner panel again this season. So I'm really excited about having uh, the the folks there. And I'll be uh, posting again the uh, um, featured videos each week So uh, on my social media platform. So make sure you stay tuned. So again, great to be on air. Don't forget to join Cindy and I next Tuesday with another great guest on the Women of Golf show. Uh, again, uh, just go to uh, virtually any of the uh, social media platforms that carry uh, the program. And uh, the uh, main network, of course, is blogtalkradio.com. And you can just type in either Golf Talk Live or Women of Golf up in the search key, and that will take you to the respective pages. And for some reason, if you can't join us live, uh, you can scroll down to the on-demand section. So, uh, again, very special thank you to my guest tonight, Natalie Filler. And uh, I look forward to... Uh, being here next week. Uh, Have a great uh, week, everybody, and I'll see you next time on Golf Talk Live. Thanks for listening to this evening's broadcast of Golf Talk Live. Remember to tune in each week at blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live. If you can't join us live, check out the on-demand section for previously aired broadcasts or listen on any of the following social media platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, CastBox, TalkStream Live, and of course, Spotify. To get updates on future shows and upcoming guests, be sure to visit the show's Facebook page, Golf Talk Live Blog. You can also follow me on Twitter at Ted and Buck CEO. Remember to join me live each week for another great broadcast of Golf Talk Live. See you next time. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.